these are our dogs, Bailey and Kobe. And uh, our younger dog, the smaller one, the Shih Tzu, is, is Kobe. And he is a very cuddly, comforting dog. Uh, he loves to crawl up on our laps, and he brings a lot of comfort and joy. He's very playful. And we think he's confused most of the time. Um, he, he's always observing things, but it's never really clear what he's thinking about or focusing on until there's food in the room or he can see his toy. This is his favorite little bone, and uh, if he chases after it and I cover it up with my hand, he'll like claw at me for a little bit, and then if he can't see it, he kind of forgets and does something else. But as long as he can always see a sign that it's near, he has this relentless attention, and he's just determined. He'll climb up my arm and chase after it. He'll jump twice as far off the ground as he is tall. He'll go after it, and he won't stop until he can get it and not be pulling for it anymore. Uh, yeah, it's fun and entertaining. Um, for me, at least. Uh, I don't know what kind of searcher you are. Most of our families have some people who lose things and others who find them. Um, I know my kids, at least some of them, uh, are, are people who search for things when it comes to mind and when it seems convenient. Uh, whereas I'm kind of more the, what? Where is that? And we kind of have to meticulously walk through every room and work through, like, where were you? What would you have done? What is your thought process when you come home and you just put stuff down? Um, is it something I can search for on my iPhone? Um, so, uh, so I don't know what kind of searcher you are, how determined you are, but today we're celebrating Epiphany, uh, which is a holiday in the church year that almost nobody knows when it is, but it's actually January 6th every year. It's like Flag Day. Nobody knows when it is, but it's always on the same date every year. June 14th, just in case you're interested. Um, so Epiphany is the 12th day of Christmas. If you've ever been wondering, why do we have 12 days of Christmas? Why is there a song about that? Why are there so many gifts for each day? Uh, it's because there are 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany. And so on Epiphany, we get to celebrate that there are the, these group of people from the east who saw the star, who saw this sign in the heavens, and they were like, we need to chase after that and see what's happening in the world that's signaled by this change in the skies. Now, we don't know a ton for sure about the Magi. Um, they probably weren't kings, even though for a long time we pictured them with crowns on their heads, and I think there's even crowns in the, on the slide. Um, so we don't know a lot about them for sure, it seems that they were a, a mix of people, some kind of shaman, philosopher people. There were some scientists and astrologers, some who were just kind of religious scholars who 
we're looking at all these prophecies, particularly from uh, the Old Testament, but also studying other things as well and trying to put all this together, mix it up in one beautiful soup and figure out what, where they could find truth. And so they had studied and they had heard these prophecies and they recognized that something big was going to come sometime. And then they saw this sign in the sky. And they traveled across countries, across various terrain, through, I'm confident, a wide variety of weather challenges to see what God was doing. To see this one who would be born king of the Jews. They traveled and traveled and traveled and ended up in Jerusalem where they could at least ask the king, where is this person who's supposed to take your place? And the king got kind of fired up about that and a little bit nervous. Uh, but his scholars were able to direct them to Bethlehem and they eventually arrived at Bethlehem where they found Mary and Joseph living in a home and Jesus was now a child. So a, a toddler walking around. So we don't know for sure when they started their journey. We don't know for sure how long it took them. But they were determined to see what this sign meant and where it would lead. And after all their travels, they got to this place and they met Jesus. So on, Pif on Epiphany, we celebrate the wise men coming to see Jesus. So we read the account from Matthew 2 already, and today just to kind of give us a picture of what God is doing as he stirs in us this, this hope that we have that we discover in Epiphany, we're going to look at these two verses from Revelation chapter 7, where John receives this vision of what God is doing and how he will bring everything to an eventually neat and tidy end. And John records for us after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. We thank you for your word and we thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that you would give us the stamina to search for you until we find you uh, the way you did for the Magi, the way you've done for so many. And we pray that as we meet you, you draw us in, make us yours, make us whole, and shine your light in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today as we reflect on Epiphany and what it means, we're reminded that on Epiphany we celebrate that Jesus is God. So this, this band of scholars and philosophers and whatever they were journeyed across nations, across terrain, across weather, across all kinds of things to find this one who would be born King of the Jews not knowing exactly what that meant or where exactly they find him 
or why exactly it mattered, but they just knew it had been prophesied for centuries and they wanted to be a part of it. And so they, they set out. But when they met Jesus, this little child running around, I assume he was walking by that point, but who knows? Um, they meet this little child and his parents. And what we celebrate at Epiphany is similar to what we've already celebrated at Christmas. That Jesus is God. And that he came to us. We celebrate that Jesus is God. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. As they journeyed across all this stuff, all these challenges, and they came to this home in Bethlehem and met Mary and Joseph and this toddler, Jesus, what they saw in him was the fullness of who God is. Everything that's true about God is evident in Jesus. And while Jesus would grow as a human being and learn more about what that meant for himself and for us, because he, he did have a full human experience, and yet, even in that moment, even as he was born and as he was walking around as a little toddler in this home, He was the fullness of God. All the fullness of what is true of God, every attribute of God, everything that's true of God that we need to know is revealed in Jesus. And so as the Magi traveled and met this child, they met with God face to face. And they were struck and overwhelmed and they worshiped him and they gave him the gifts that they had prepared to bring. But on Epiphany, we celebrate what we've been celebrating at Christmas, but a little bit, a little bit layered. That at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus came to earth, and at Epiphany, we're reminded that Jesus came for everyone. That Jesus is God, and that he came not only to his very own people, but to even these foreigners who traveled. Sometimes I... I like to think uh, about how crazy a scene that is, that these, these people, and I, I imagine like after this long journey in ancient times, they probably, I, I mean, just imagining what that would be like to bring this kind of whole harem of, of people to this little home to meet this toddler and say, hey, we came to meet your little kid. Like in today's society, that would never work, right? Like, um, our hospitals have secure delivery wings. Uh, we protect everything. Uh, and there are varying degree, uh, there are a variety of ways that we decide to parent. But oftentimes, as we bring a new child into our house, we kind of guard and protect the kid. And we kind of determine what the strategy will be for how many people we expose that child to at what rate, uh, what schedule. Uh, and it might be different for each kid in our family, but, um, you know, when Kip and Cammie came home, we just were like, hey, they're here. Um, but, uh, um, so it's just, just kind of fascinating for me to imagine, like, as much as we guard and protect our kids and try to make sure they attach to us before they get passed around to a whole extended family and all kinds of things like that, to picture this 
this group of foreigners from a foreign land come into the house and saying, hey, we came to meet your baby. <laughs> Let us in. Do you have any food? Um, yeah, just wild and crazy, and I made most of that up. Um, but on Epiphany, we celebrate that Jesus is God. And that as the, this band of foreigners and philosophers and scientists came to meet Jesus, they met face to face with God. And all that's true of God was already available, revealed in them, in him, to them. As we reflect on this experience with the Magi, we see that as the Magi meet Jesus, God reminds us that his family has room for all people. So that's what we see in this picture from Revelation chapter 9. There's that God is drawing people to himself so that in the last days, at the end of time, at the end of human history, we will see this great multitude of people. It's so big that no one can count. That draws in people from every nation, every tribe, every people or group, every language. And that's what we celebrate at Epiphany. That these foreigners, these Gentiles came and got to experience Jesus. That it was clear to them that he came, that God came to rescue them as well. Not just Israel, but all people, including us. And it's an ancient plan that God had from the very beginning. We see it recounted and repeated throughout Scripture. And we're going to take a little time to kind of just let that soak in, like how committed God is to this plan, to letting all these people into his family. We see it in one of the first places in Genesis chapter 12, uh, where God first establishes his covenant with Abraham, who's Abram at the time. And so God kind of calls out from the sky or meets up with Abram in this, wherever he was living, and just kind of speaks to him and says, Hey, Abe, uh, I've got this plan for you, and I've chosen you among all people, and I'd like to move you from where you are, from your family, away from the land of your dad, to this different place where I will establish you as a new people. I'm going to create a new nation out of you. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. And I will make your name great. And so he promises Abraham all these things. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'm going to take care of you. All these protective things. I'm going to establish you, take care of you. And then he says, and all peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. So even as God establishes this covenant with Abraham to create a group of people that belong to him on earth, God's plan at the very beginning of that is that he's going to create this people group, guard them and protect them, nurture them and guide them for this incredible purpose that through them, all peoples on earth will be blessed. We see it echoed again centuries later as God has rescued his people out of Egypt, done all kinds of miraculous things, guarded and protected them, fed them 
when they didn't know how to provide for themselves. And as he's gathered them together at Mount Sinai and he prepares to renew the covenant with this whole multitude of people through the Ten Commandments and all that good stuff, before he announces the commandments, before he declares those things, he says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. So again, he says, if you follow me, if you stay close to me, I'm going to set you apart. You're super special, and I've picked you out of all the other people. But his dream, God's plan, is that as they stay close to him, they will become a kingdom of priests. That they will be the mediators between God and others who don't know him. That they will be his special people, but not just to that end. They will be his special people so that through them, all people would have the opportunity to know this great God who saves and rescues people from slavery. God declares it again in Ezekiel uh, 37. He says, They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding." And I will cleanse them. They will be my people. And I will be their God. So God again says, I want to draw people into my family. I want to make a great and awesome people from all the people that I've put on earth. But my strategy for getting them, reaching them, letting them know that, I'm, that I love them is through this one unique people. This passage in Ezekiel reminds us, as we'll see echoed in the New Testament in a moment, that while we have this picture from Revelation chapter 7 of this great multitude of people that's so vast we can't even count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, it's still important for us to recognize that as great and vast as that multitude is, God's family does not include all people. It includes all people who are saved by him, who who are rescued by him, who believe and trust him, who believe him as their God, and they become his family, his people. And so we see in Revelation this glimpse that there are no human barriers that keep anybody out. There's no people group that's completely excluded. But, on our own, in our natural condition, as human beings, we are born rebels, skeptical of God and separate from Him. And we all need Him to break through, to reveal Himself, so that we can be rescued. So it's an ancient plan that God's been preparing and echoing and repeating for a long, long, long time. But it's also a personal plan. In Titus 3, 3-7, through 7, Paul summarizes the gospel for us in a powerful way. Um, I've only put part of it on the slide because it wouldn't fit. Um, but this is what Paul writes. 
At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So, Paul says, wherever we are now in this family of God, each of our stories started somewhere else in the dark, separate from God. That even all of us who know him now and trust him as our Savior, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, separate, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We were angry. We lived in malice and hatred toward one another, and we other people hated us. We've experienced it. And those of us, well, we all know that that's part of our nature, that those are still part of our inclination, that every day the things that we fight through and the things that we confess to the Lord are our inclination to still live foolish, human-minded, earthly-minded lives, that we're still deceived and enslaved in some ways, that we, or at least live like we are, that we still treat people with malice, and still experience hatred from others. We know that's it's still familiar to us. But, Paul says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, when Epiphany came and he revealed himself to us, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. So on Epiphany, as we reflect on this experience of the Magi, these Gentile foreigners who saw a star in the sky and thought, what could this be? Is this the moment that everything changes? They made this journey found this little child in a home with his parents. And they met God. On Epiphany, we celebrate that this picture that we see in Revelation 7-9 is true. That God is building this ginormous family, a great multitude that no one can count, with people who have come from every category of human beings that we can define us by every nation, every tribe, every people, which is just kind of a general word for group. Uh, So we can group people in all kinds of ways, and we do it all the time to say, hey, they're like me, and they are not. Every language group. God's ancient plan is that Jesus would come and rescue any of us That there's no way that we can identify ourselves or categorize ourselves or other people that separate us and make it impossible for God to reach us. That his desire is that his family into eternity will include people from every way we try to define human beings. Every nation, 
every family line, tribe, every people, every language. That we would be standing before the throne and before the Lamb and declare in unity, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's plan is ancient. He's been working at it for a long, long time and he's been telling us about it in different ways for a long, long time. It's also personal. It's this great truth that the Magi, these foreigners, these Gentiles came and experienced the Savior. That he came not only for his own people, but for all people. But it's not just an idea that Jesus comes for everyone. It's also an invitation that's personal that he comes for you and for me. For people that we know and people that we may never meet all across the world. God is shining his light, revealing himself and allowing these little epiphanies to continue to happen in personal and meaningful ways all around the world. And that part of his plan, and it has been since the beginning, is that any of us experience that epiphany and recognize that Jesus is God and he's the one who saves us, that when we come to him and believe him, we're ushered into his family and he guards and protects us as he promised Abraham he would. But more than that, He shines his light in us. His Holy Spirit lives in us. And everywhere we go, he goes too so that through us, others might experience epiphany. The wonder and the truth that Jesus is God and he's come for us. And that there's no boundary that we can build that keeps people out. We can resist him. We can say, no, I don't want that. I'm going to continue in my rebellion. I'm fine. I like the way it is. And he'll let us go our own way. But there's no human barrier, no way we can identify ourselves or categorize people that that definition excludes them from God's desire to reach them and bring them into this beautiful picture that he's painting. Because in the end, we will see revealed a multitude that's so great no one can count, that represents people, includes people from every nation, tribe, group, and language, united around his throne, because Jesus has come and he is God and he saves. Let's pray. Father God, you are the one who searches relentlessly. You're pursuing us. Some of us know you. And we rejoice in that epiphany celebration, that moment where we remember how you revealed yourself to us.
and helped us know that you came for us, that you are God and you're the only one. Lord, some of us are seeking and we've got questions and we wonder about a lot of things like the Magi did. We're on this journey and we don't know exactly where it's going to lead or how it's going to end, but we pray that you'd reveal yourself. You give us faith. You call us home to you. You guard and protect us and make us yours, that you would be our God and we would be your people. Lord, some of us are resisting you. Some of, it, some of us might be really intentional about it, really determined. Some of us, we just don't really know what to think about. But Lord, the promise of epiphany is that you want to break through all those barriers, and so we pray that you reveal yourself. That you grow faith where we didn't imagine it. And you'd extend your family and your promise to each of us and to those in our family and our neighborhoods, those across the world. Thank you for being a relentless pursuer. As we come before you today, we're overwhelmed by the wonder that you, Jesus, are God. And not just a God with power, but a God with passion and service, a servant's heart who saves. You laid down your life so that we could be with you. So we pray that you do your work. And we thank you that you continue to do it again and again in our lives and throughout the world. We pray all these things to give you glory and honor and praise because you alone deserve it. Pray it all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.